You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, we... God, we want to remember that you are king, you're king over our lives, you're king over this place and over this world. And we remember that all that we can do is fall before you in worship. All that we can do is be yours and belong to you. God, thank you that you are so good, that you are holy. Yeah, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for what you've done. In your name, amen. All right, today is student stories, which is one of my favorite things because it's the opportunity for us to hear the ways that God has been moving, not just in big ways throughout the world, but individually here on campus and other people. It's a time that we can worship him for what he's done. While I was thinking about today's student stories, I was thinking about Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, was afraid for his life. He was running from his brother that he had stolen the birthright from. And God had promised to bless him. He had promised him that he was going to take care of him. He promised him that he was going to continue to support him. And Jacob was looking across this river and he saw his brother with an army and he was completely afraid, even though that God had promised to bless him. And so he sent his entire family on. He sent them all across the river and he stayed behind because he was afraid of what was going to happen to him. And then he met God, and he wrestled with him because he didn't want to go. He didn't want to trust that God was going to take care of him, and he couldn't move forward. And he wrestled, and he wrestled, and he wrestled. And finally, when he wouldn't surrender, God popped his hip out of place. And then he gave him a new name, and he called him Israel, he who wrestles with God. God made it so that he couldn't run anymore. He couldn't hide. He had to trust him. Today in Student Stories, we're going to hear a lot about surrender and a lot about identity. That our identity is formed not by who we are, but who God is. Jacob was defined not by his old name, the deceiver, when he had stolen his brother's birthright, but he was defined by a new name, Israel, he who wrestles with God. And so today's student stories, we're going to hear from Brendan Krebs and Anna Thatcher. Um, And I love both of these people. I could talk forever about Brendan and his commitment, the way that he encourages the guys on his hall. He's an RA. I could talk about his passion to serve the Lord. We could talk about Anna and how hardworking she is in the Mediacom department and equine. Um, 
but all of this would fall short against their true identity. Those are things that they do, but it isn't who they are. Because just like Jacob, they've been given a new name. They have wrestled with God. They have been given a new identity. They have been made sons and daughters of the true king. And so this is our opportunity, just like we can hear the story of Jacob, to hear their story and to hear the ways that they have wrestled with God and to hear the ways that God has changed them and made them new. This is what I love about student stories. And if you're more interested to hear more about student stories than tonight and Bennett Bernard, six o'clock, one more announcement. Um, there's a lot of students getting together to share stories at six o'clock. And so if that's what interests you, come to that. But I hope that you would all just join me in welcoming Anna Thatcher as she shares her story. Hi. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> Gonna move that out of the way. So, like Charlie said, my name's Anna. Um, and today I'm just going to be speaking to you guys about surrendering our yes to Jesus and just kind of my journey with that, um, all the ups and downs. Um, because saying yes to Jesus when you accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life shouldn't be your only yes to him. One of WGM's uh, core phrases. Um, is yes and, because every single day God asks us to be part of his kingdom work, and our answer should be yes, and yes, and yes, and so on, you get the idea, <laughs> which is a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to have the intention of saying yes than actually doing it and completing the work that God has set before us. So today I want to share with you the times of when I have succeeded at saying yes, and by succeeded I mean God has really just done it for me and the times when I have failed, because we're not gonna get it right every time. But when we do, it's literally so freeing and so fulfilling. So during the outpouring last year, um, I could hear the Holy Spirit better than I ever had before, not like audibly, but in my heart. Um, I could like feel him calling me and asking me to go pray for that stranger up at the altar or go give that friend a hug because I may not know it, but they need it. or go speak this specific truth over that person over there. And that was so scary. It's scary to even like open yourself up to saying yes to God because who knows what he's gonna ask you to do. But I remember the more that I said yes, the easier it got to take that step of faith because sometimes it just takes one step. And the more comfortable I became being uncomfortable. So there was one night I was standing on this stage during the outpouring worshiping with like a bunch of other students and I could feel the Holy Spirit asking me to go up to someone and pray for them. And now this person was someone that I kind of knew. I didn't know if they actually remembered the one time that they met me. And I didn't even know if they actively followed Christ, but they had come to Hughes that night with a friend. And I could tell that the Holy Spirit was tugging on me to go and pray for him. And I straight up said no. I refused, I tried to keep singing along, pretending like I wasn't ignoring the creator of the universe. And it didn't work. It was like a tug of war, kind of like what Charlie was saying, like wrestling back and forth in my mind, and of course, God won. I figured if I didn't go do it, I would have to keep wrestling with God, and I knew I couldn't win that battle. So I walked over, I said hi, asked if there was anything I could pray for them for, 
And I was so scared that he would just brush me off saying, I don't need prayer, or that he would not remember me and think it was weird that a stranger was just walking up to him. But he laid out a prayer request, and we sat down together on the stage, and we prayed. And I have no idea where he is right now, and no idea if that impacted him in any way or not, but we don't always get to see the fruit of our labor, right? We may plant seeds of truth or water ones that God already has there, but only God can make them grow. Only God knows all of our stories. I remember the second Wednesday night during the outpouring, we were having this um, RWGM leadership team meeting, and James was sharing um, that a pastor had asked him for a few students that would come and speak on what God had been doing at Asbury that past week. And he said, the church is from Greenwood, Indiana. And that's my hometown. <laughs> and immediately I knew that God wanted me to go. But I hate getting up in front of a crowd and speaking. <laughs> and so fear kept me from saying anything during that meeting. I figured someone else would do it, I'd be off the hook. And so I went to bed that night and I could not sleep. I was tossing and turning, and I was wrestling with the Lord in my mind. It was that tug of war back and forth, me saying, I don't want to go. I'm not qualified. I wouldn't even know what to say. Just send someone else. And then God's saying, but I'm calling you. I'm asking you. You will do this, and I will be with you. And I was tired. <laughs> I just wanted to sleep. It was late. But I knew that until I said yes to him, I wasn't going to find any rest. So I gave up, and it was like throwing my hands up in my mind, saying, fine, fine, God, you win. I'll do it. And I knew I would change my mind if I waited until the morning, so I texted James quite late that night, and I told him that I would go. And so Jared Bouchong and I drove up that weekend, and I was feeling pretty confident during the drive there. We were praying for each other, just getting ready. And then we got there, and we stood inside the building, waiting to walk in front of the students, and I was physically shaking. <laughs> How could I possibly describe what God was doing at Asbury if I didn't even understand it myself? What if I froze and couldn't think of anything to say? What if these students didn't even get anything out of this and they would just tune us out? I felt sick to my stomach. I was so nervous. And then I sat down in front of everyone, took the mic in my hand, an immediate peace. I was never at a loss for words, and God moved in that space for those students. And the really crazy thing is, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We were even asked to come back and speak another weekend to their whole congregation, which was like a whole other step of facing a fear. Because <laughs> the thing is, fear can be inhabilitating if we let it. It can leave us frozen, unwilling and unable to do what God is asking of us. But God's bigger than our fear. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear is a liar, and it deserves no place in your heart or my heart. This verse was explained to me once, like, we're going to do a little imagining. <laughs> picture a father and a son at an amusement park. The father is holding his son's hand to make sure he doesn't get lost. But in the midst of the crowd, the son is pulled away from his father. And now the fear starts to creep in. He's crying and doesn't know where he is anymore. He can't find his dad. He's scared. But then the father grabs a hold of his son's hand again. And the son is no longer lost. And the fear subsides because his father loves him and will guide him and protect him. When he's with his loving father, he has no fear. And so how much more is it when we're with our heavenly father who has perfect love? Even after all that with the outpouring though, I still struggle. By the time summer hit, I felt lost, 
I couldn't hear the Holy Spirit like I had in February, and I was just frustrated, wondering what changed. Where had the girl that I'd been doing the outpouring gone, the one who was getting better at saying yes and listening to the Holy Spirit? And so God worked on me over the summer. He used the summer camp that I was working at to teach me how to ask him questions and then listen to an answer, how to pray without ceasing, how to daily surrender to his will again. And then I got back to school, and I think it was the first wham back when I could feel the Holy Spirit ask me to go pray for someone, a friend. But fear gripped my heart, and I couldn't even bring myself to take a step towards that friend. I rationalized that I had heard God wrong, and I was just lying to myself. I wanted so bad to do it. I wanted to be there for my friend, but what if they didn't even need prayer? What if it was super awkward? What if I didn't know what to say? These thoughts kept rushing through my mind over and over, and I believed them enough that the fear of the answers to those questions made me not able to move. And then I watched as someone else walked up to that friend and prayed for them. And that wrecked me. <laughs> I was heartbroken. It was a reminder that God doesn't need us. He didn't need me, and if I don't go, he'll just send someone else. And I don't want fear to control me. Living a life in fear sounds like a terrible life. God calls us every day to different tasks, and he doesn't need us, he's God. But he wants to use us to build his kingdom because he loves us. And each time he uses us, he uses that to say that yes to grow us and bring us closer to him. And so I'm still learning, I'm not perfect. I asked so many people to pray for me today because I had said yes, said yes to speaking to you all, and I was determined that fear would not hold any power over me. But the thing is, I can't get rid of that myself. I don't have that power, but God does. And so every time I could feel fear to start to creep in and overwhelm me with anxiety about speaking today, which was many times, I prayed. And I let God remind me of his truths about me, that, that he chose me for such a time as this, that he called me, that he qualifies the called, and that he would use my yes, even if not in the way I envision. And so it's an everyday thing, surrendering our yes to God. And so I pray that each one of us wakes up each morning with that kind of heart posture. And if you fall short one day, you're human. But get up the next day and surrender your yes again. And again, and again, yes and. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity just to gather and to worship you. I pray that you would use us, that you would speak to us, and that um, we would be quiet and still enough to listen. I thank you that we get to sing your praises in this space today. Jesus, move in our hearts, move in our minds. Keep our ears open. It's in your son's name. Amen. And now let's welcome Brendan, who's going to share about God's faithfulness in his life. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot more people once you're up here, um, but that's all right. Um, so, yeah, I am Brendan Krebs. I'm a junior here at Asbury. Um, I'm on the soccer team. Um, I live in Citadel and Trustees. Um, but the real reason I wanted to come here and talk to you guys today was I wanted to talk to you about how the first time I allowed myself to be found by Christ and when he met me was when I needed him most and when I was truly in a pit of despair. 
um, and he literally saved my life. Story starts when I was about 16 years old. I was a junior in high school, and as many of you guys know, junior year is kind of crazy. Um, running between AP Biology exams, running between AP Calculus, you have all kinds of different sports teams going on. You have every academic club you might be trying to fit in to try and make yourself look like I'm the perfect candidate for that scholarship, applying for everything, put going to youth group. Um, and I had filled my schedule so much to the point that I didn't have any sort of time. And I realized that I had started to give my, my worth to my activities. I started to realize that all of my validation, everything that I believed about myself was so intertwined with who I was on the soccer field, who I was in the classroom. And eventually, as many of you guys know, that self-validation that you get from those things, it runs out. It starts to fail. And that validation that you so desperately desired starts to turn into loathing. It really came to a point when I started to realize that as, a, as many things as I wanted to do, as many things I wanted to be the best at, it came to a point where I realized that I wasn't never going to be as important as I wanted to be. It was never going to be as good or as impressive as I wanted to be. And I realized that everything I put my hopes and my dreams into came to nothing. But instead of accepting those things, instead of confronting the fact that I wasn't good enough, except accepting the idea that maybe there's something more to life than trying to fill my schedule, than trying to be better than other people, I could not admit that. So I continued to fill my schedule with even more things. Continue to believe this lie that if I outworked the people around me and became more successful than the people around me, then I would be happy then I would be more successful and I would be at peace because I was better. And every time that I start to feel like there might be some sort of progress, that loathing just kept coming back in my mind and kept telling me, Brendan, you're not good enough. Brendan, you're not enough. And so eventually it came to a point where it wasn't just that I was filling my schedule so much, I was leading a double life because I would go every time the door was open and church, I was there. And I had everything figured out, I had, or at least I made it look like it. I had all the right answers to the church. I had all the right answers to what the pastor said. I made myself look convicted when the pastor prayed. I would ask people to pray for me. I would pray for other people. But as soon as I left those church doors, I was completely somebody different. I did not know who God was. And it came to a certain point where I started to realize this, that it didn't matter what I used didn't matter who I used, all I cared was trying to fill the hole that I had left in my chest because I had kept trying to fill myself with all the things of the world, whether it be the activities I was in, whether it be a lot of bad stuff. And it really came to a point when, as you guys know, the world really stopped um, in COVID. There was no more running. Um, and I had to be confronted with the reality of my sin, the weight of no longer having these things to hide behind, no longer have my schedule to try and fill my life with. And I was so disgusted with the fact that every time I looked within, the only thing that I could see was somebody who amounted to a couple of soccer games and a few academic scholarships. 
And so it came to a real point when I realized that I didn't want to continue on this struggle. There wasn't anything more for me. Why should I keep going? What was the point in working as hard as I could to get ahead when I realized there was no getting ahead? And so I, I decided that I was going to take my life. And every night for weeks, I would walk into the bathroom and I'd look in the mirror and I would tell myself, you're not good enough. What's the point in this? And I was ready to make a decision that I could never go back on. Every time I would, I would, I would fail because I couldn't stand the fact of my parents having to walk in and find me the next morning. And I was broken, utterly. And it came to a point, one of my friends came to me and they looked at me and they said, Brendan, I can see something is really wrong with you. Have you ever read your Bible? And I looked at them honestly and I said, no, why would I ever read my Bible? What value could come from that right now? And they looked at me and said, Brendan, I can see that something is desperately wrong with you and you refuse to talk about it. I don't know what's going on because you're hiding it, but you should really try this. And so without options, without anything left to turn to, I decided, why not? So I literally took my Bible the next day and flipped it open to the random page, and it was Hebrews. If you guys don't know what Hebrews is about, some of the main themes are about living a good life about the race that God sets before us, about something more in life than, our, than the things we have right now. And so I read through the first couple of verses and I looked at this and I said, I have no idea what this is saying. I couldn't understand a single word on the page. So just like any other textbook I had with school, I decided I was going to write down everything that I could. So I went through and I took notes on every single little line that had any sort of meaning, any sort of value, anything that I thought could mean something to me in that moment. And it wasn't like I had this big epiphany where God literally opened up the heavens and a light came shining down and all of a sudden I was healed and I was holy and there was more for my life. But I woke up after a while and I had finished the book of Hebrews and I had just committed to trying to read one chapter a day. And for the first time in a long time, I woke up and I didn't want to hurt myself. For the first time in a long time, I felt like there might be something more for my life than the things right now. For the first time in a long time, I had realized that there was freedom from pride, addiction, lust, bitterness, comparison. For the first time, I could see that God actually did have a plan. And as I was looking back um, on all of this, all the notes that I had taken and from when I first started reading scripture, there was a lot of verses that God had placed in my heart, um, but there was some that really stood out to me as I was looking back through them. Um, it was Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and here it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you right now, if you were in that same, if you're in that same boat that I was at, you don't understand a single word I just said. 
Let me tell you what this means. Repent from sin. Turn to God and run the race that he has for you because there is a finish line. That finish line is not here. The finish line is not at Asbury. The finish line is not something that we can't see. The finish line is the idea that God saves us. The finish line is that God has something more for you, even if you can't see it right now. I want to encourage you guys right now. Because there is something more for your life even if you don't see it. Turn to God if you are out of options, if you are weighed down by the weight of your sins, weighed down by the idea of no hope, weighed down by comparison, weighed down by pride. If you have nothing else, try this. Because I'm telling you, I've tried everything else and none of it works. You can keep filling yourself with all the things of the world, but it's not going to amount to anything. And you're going to be left in the same spot you're going to be left even worse. So I want, to, I want to encourage you right now. I don't know. We're about to go into a time of worship for a moment. Um, think about that. If you're willing, come to the front. Let's pray about these things. There are people around here who love you, who care for you. They want to see you okay. Or if you're not ready for that, if you're not ready to give this to God, turn to a friend. Turn to a brother, turn to a sister and ask them. Talk to them. Be with them. Stop hiding from this. Because this is one thing I didn't tell you guys about. Even after that I had realized this, even after God had started to free me, there was two years that I never told a single soul about these things. And as difficult that was, as difficult it was to see how God was freeing me and how great God had been freeing me in that moment, I was still dealing with that because I wouldn't allow myself to speak about that. So I want to encourage you right now, don't hold on to this. Give this to God. Turn to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this school, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to share, Lord. Um, Lord, I ask that you would bless everybody in this room right now, Lord, for their future, Lord. I ask that you would give them eyes to see your good, Lord. I, give, I would ask that you give them eyes to see what you have in store for them. And Lord, would you place people in their lives now that would encourage them, that would love them, Lord, that would bring you to them? Lord, we need you so desperately, Lord. We submit to you in all things, Lord, and we, we ask for your, for your goodness to continue to come, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.